So we are picking up with our series that we've been in, looking at the church. We're going to continue in that. And we've been taking a look at the church, particularly from the perspective of, uh, from a biblical perspective, in regard to church and church life. What should this be? What should this look like? What should the church, what should church look, uh, life look like, really, from a biblical perspective? And so we've been looking at various elements of that, of the church, of church life, from a biblical perspective, how that, that is to look. And we're going to continue that, and today we're going to be looking at the church in the sense of a, it being a place of spiritual growth. That's really the theme that we're going to take up today, spiritual growth, and that the church is God's ordained place for that spiritual growth to be taking place. And not just the place, not just the setting, but indeed also a means that God uses the church, you and me, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, as a means he uses us to help one another to grow and mature in the faith. We recognize we, we still struggle with sin. We still need to grow. We have not attained to you know, perfect Christ-likeness, and we need that spiritual growth, and, and God delights in bringing that, and he brings it in the church, in that setting, but also working through the church to help us all to grow ever increasingly into the likeness of Christ. And I want to speak to the topic of spiritual growth within the church, the church as a place of spiritual growth, especially in sort of our context now, sort of our world, you know, sort of the church in, in, in our time. And ever increasingly, sort of a, a growing trend in the church is to say, you know, I, I love Jesus. I'm not saying this is, this is everyone. I mean, everyone in the church should love Jesus, but all that I'm, I'm going to say here. Uh, but certainly it's a growing trend of saying, I, I love Jesus. I, I love God's word. You know, I, I believe in all of it. I understand the gospel. I've put my faith and trust in him. I, you know, I always spend my quiet time with the Lord and so forth. But this whole church thing, you know, going to church on Sundays, engaging with other brothers and sisters in the Lord, it's just sort of like, it's not my thing. It's not for me. It, it, it's almost this growing trend of it's just me and God and it's this solo thing. I'm, I'm on my own little island growing in the faith and doing my own spiritual Christian thing. And that's a growing trend of people who'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord, but no, I don't, I don't engage with any sort of church life. I don't have a church. I don't participate in Sunday worship or, or small groups or engage in any way. Or even for others who might say, no, no, I do go to church. Uh, but again, a growing trend of this where maybe their level of engagement in church life is kind of, well, you know, I slip in to church on Sundays and sit in the back. You know, maybe it's a couple songs into the worship set. So I sort of show up a little bit, bit late so I can slide in without having to engage with people too much. You tend to see this more at the bigger churches, not so much at a church of our size, but it's pretty mainstream in a lot of large churches where that, that's what happens. You know, you start the service and like nobody's there and then all of a sudden people kind of trickle in. And then you get to like the, the closing song after the sermon and people are already sort of headed out. You know, I don't want to have to like talk to any of these people or engage with them. I got to hear the sermon. That's what I wanted. And now I'm out. And it's sort of they won't engage with brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the course of the week. That's just sort of church engagement. That's all they want. That, that's all they're interested in. And that's a growing trend. And the reality is, as we recognize, as we talk about this more fully, as we look at Scripture, the church as a place of spiritual growth, and not just the place for it, but, but God using the church and brothers and sisters in the Lord to bring about this spiritual growth in our lives, as we see this trend of sort of, I'm a Christian on my own little island, sort of, you know, uh, separated from any other Christians, 
That's not God's plan for spiritual growth. It's not his plan for how he wants us to mold us more and more into the likeness of Christ. And it's just not going to wind up taking place in any sort of significant way. I'm not saying that you can't grow a little bit as on your own, you're in the Lord's, you know, in, in scripture, spending time with the Lord and, and praying. There can be some growth that takes place there. But, but there's not going to be real significant growth. And so as this trend continues, what we're going to continue to see, and I'd say we probably already see it if we look at the American church, is very much sort of an immature church, sort of shallow in the faith as everyone's kind of, again, on their island doing their own thing and not together fellowshipping as a body, right? Many members, one body fellowshipping together, engaging in life together and helping to build one another up in the faith. And so I'd say this is an important topic, especially for our time as, again, the church is sort of beginning to be more and more fractured as people are just sort of doing their own separate thing and spiritual growth in the church is going to naturally suffer as a result. So I think an important topic for the church in today's times. And, and I want to start by taking a look at Scripture, of course, and we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4, so you can turn there. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16. And I'll read this for us. It's Paul writing, of course, to the Ephesian church, starting at verse 11 here. It says, and he gave, I'll, I'll say who he is. It's talking about Christ here. It's talking about Jesus. And it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And I'll pause here just for a moment. Not that this is like central to what we're talking about in regard to spiritual growth and the church is a place of spiritual growth. But you might look at this and think, oh, we're talking about sort of five different groups here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and then teachers. But, but in the Greek, grammatically speaking, it's quite clear that shepherds and teachers is one unit, is one group of people. It's sort of shepherd teachers or shepherd slash teachers. So uh, if you're interested, again, this isn't, we're not going to spend great time on, on the nuances of that. But just for, for your reference, really there are four groups here being spoken of. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then lastly, the shepherd teachers. So it says, and he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So I'm going to pause here. We'll read the next couple verses afterwards. But I want to pause and sort of, you know, set the, the picture here that, that we're being given by Paul, certainly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that we're being given by God. And here's the picture of the church, that we have these, these leaders in the church, right? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd, shepherd teachers. And they have the role of equipping the whole body, equipping the saints, and equipping them for the work of ministry, right? And in many churches, often, that, that's not even sort of the way people view things. I think we know better here. But at times in churches, the mindset is sort of like, well, what do we have church leaders for? For, for them to do it. The ministry so hey i don't have to as sort of the regular churchgoer but that's not the biblical picture here but rather it's we have the leaders and their work is to equip everyone for this work of ministry that everyone participates in the whole body of christ participates in this work of ministry 
right? And so you're going to have people with various members within this one body of Christ, each with their own unique spiritual gifts, with their own unique sort of natural talents and abilities, their own skill set, and God giving them each their, their own sort of unique roles based on those different skills and equipping and so forth, with unique roles within the body, right? Where maybe I'm strong, uh, maybe you're weak, and, and maybe where I'm weak, you're strong, and everyone big, brings their own strengths and abilities and gifting to the table, and as everyone's doing their part, carrying out their role, doing their work of ministry, and here the, the sense of work of ministry at this point is really more of an inward focus. You can tell that from the context. Certainly, the leaders of the church are to equip the saints for the work of outward ministry, reaching out to the world, but here the picture is really more within the body of Christ, and so they're equipping the saints for this inward work of ministry, where whatever your gifts are, whatever your talents, whatever your abilities are, whatever that role is God's given to you into the in the body of Christ, and it's different for all of us, for each of us to be carrying out that role, being equipped by the leaders, and as each of us carries out that role, what's the result, and what is it for? It's for the building up of the body of Christ, as it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right? The reality is here is that right, we haven't attained to full Christ-likeness. We need spiritual growth. We're not perfect. Yeah, we're a new creation in Christ, but that sin has a way of hanging around, and we need to grow, right? And, and Christ is going to bring that growth in his church. We need to attain to mature manhood. Here's sort of the picture of, of the church uh, as sort of a little child or an infant needing to attain a spiritual maturity. Sort of like the reality now is spiritually speaking, not physically speaking, but the sort of uh, we're, we're children or we're infants in a spiritual way and there needs to be growth and we need to attain to real spiritual manhood, grow mature in the faith. And the ultimate goal, as it said here, right, is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Sort of that, that perfect Christ-likeness. That is ultimately what we're going to be molded into. We will one day when we go to be with the Lord We'll be made perfect. We'll be just like him, perfect in righteousness. Now, that's not going to happen in this life, but we're to strive for that. We're to aim for that and to grow ever increasingly in Christ's likeness. And how is this brought about? Well, God has given these leaders for the church to equip the saints. Then the saints are to all, all of them be doing their part, carrying out their ministry within the body. And as every part of the body of Christ is doing its part, the church is just built up. And really, this is further reaffirmed, uh, reaffirmed, that is, and described here uh, in the next couple of verses that I'm going to read, verses 15 and 16. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And I'm going to pause here. So we continue to have sort of this language, we're going to see it in the next verse too that we're going to read, this language and imagery and metaphor of really the body. Right? And I mean that in the physical sense, the body of Christ, certainly spiritually, but, but sort of being parallel to a real physical body. And here at this point, in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. There's the imagery that Paul would have in his mind and, and that everyone would sort of naturally understand, they could sort of resonate with, is that of, in a sense, the comparison between an adult head and body and the proportionality there and that of a little infant or a little child. And, and I, you know, it's sort of something that's just a natural reality. You have a little newborn or, or a young kid and sort of proportionally like the head is big and the body's kind of small as compared to an adult. And that's sort of the state of the church now with this, this beautiful bigness and fullness to the head who's Christ, but the body's still sort of relatively small. It's not kind of in, in keeping with the head. It still needs to grow. That's the church. We need to grow to be in keeping with and fitting with him who is the head, Christ. 
And so there's this need for us to grow up into what is really a mature body where the body really does fit the head. So that imagery is being used, and he continues to, to use this body imagery. I'll reread verse 15 and carry it on into 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right, and think of a physical body, and then we're going to apply this to the body of Christ as well. But with a physical body, you have, you know, it's one body, but many members, right? You know, you have all sorts of different organs and parts of your body. You have your heart, and it carries out its role and its job. And then there's your lungs, and, you know, you could go on and on, your liver, your stomach, so forth and so on. And so you have these many different members, many different parts of the body. They each have their own different ability and their own role within the body. And when each part is, is working properly and doing what it ought to do, right, it is built up and it grows and it's edified, right? And that's the same for the church. So you have one body of Christ, but many members with, with different abilities, different strengths, different spiritual gifts, natural talents and abilities, and different roles within the body. And as each part of that body is doing its role, carrying out its function within the body, doing that properly, what's the result? It is built up and it grows in regard to spiritual maturity, this spiritual growth. But we have to remember him who is the head, right? It's not like you can just sort of deal with the body itself separated from the head and the body's going to grow. Even if you think of a physical body, if you just sort of sever that head and cut it off, the body's not going to grow, right? It will die, of course. It's the same with the spiritual body of Christ. And it says here, right, I'll reread verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body makes the body grow. I know I sort of cut off part of that, but it's from him, from Christ, that the whole body is able to make the body grow. He is the source of this growth. You can't cut the body off from the head, Christ, sort of sever that connection, then expect the body to be able to, to grow and thrive and mature, but rather know this spiritual growth, it's rooted in him who is the head. He is the source of it. He's over it all. He's guiding it. He's directing it, right? He has given us his spirit, and at, the, at his direction, the spirit works and moves and brings that spiritual growth growth, but he still works through the body as the body does its part, right? As, as each part of that body is carrying out its role, right? He brings that spiritual growth and maturing of the body. And so we see here, of course, highlighted in this passage that we just read, the church as a place of spiritual growth. This is God's ordained place, the setting for it to take place. God's people all joined together, living life connected as, as one people, as, as the people of God, living in community. That's the place of it, but it's also the means for it, right? God uses the church to grow the church. He uses you and me, fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, to help one another to grow spiritually. And now I want to turn to our next passage to sort of flesh this out a little bit further. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 2. You can flip, flip over there in your Bibles. We're going to look at verses 42 through 47. And certainly as we have looked at Ephesians and this principle of sort of each part of the body, you know, joined together and each part doing its own role and that, that causes the body to grow. We're going to see that taking place here in Acts chapter 2. I'll sort of explain that even if it's not readily apparent right at first glance. But we also see certainly there are other more specific elements of church life. And we're going to look at this in this passage in, in Acts. Certain elements, further specific elements of church life that God uses, that the Holy Spirit uses and works through to bring spiritual growth to the church. And, and 
I want to look at this specific church here in Jerusalem, that first church right there, right after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit was, was poured out. I want to use this church as a wonderful example uh, of a church that was experiencing real vibrant spiritual growth and take a look and say, what were they doing? What, what was God using and working through to bring this great spiritual growth to this church? And so we're going to do that. So let me read it for us. I'll read through the whole thing and then we'll kind of come back and, and pick it apart. But this is Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the first thing I want to address is perhaps you read this and you say, it doesn't say that real great spiritual growth was taking place here. Now, okay, maybe it was, but it doesn't explicitly say that. Uh, it, so, you know, why are we going to use this church as an example if we maybe aren't certain that there is great spiritual growth taking place? But, but I want to address that. Yes, it says specifically that the Lord added to their number daily, right? So they were growing in number. But I'd say, even if it doesn't explicitly say they were growing spiritually, they were really maturing in the faith, I'd say, first of all, it's, it's thoroughly implied. It's sort of this undercurrent that you can just sort of see that runs throughout the whole thing. But even if we just sort of think logically, if we think of sort of the surrounding setting, the whole story, even surrounding these few verses and acts, just think about it logically. This is clearly a very mature and vibrant church. It's just, are they already mature or are they actively growing and spiritual maturation is taking place, spiritual growth is taking place. Well, well, here's sort of the whole context. This is right after the Holy Spirit's poured out at Pentecost. And if we think of sort of what has gone on with the church, right there at Pentecost, at the start of that, there were really just only a handful of followers of Christ, just a real small number. And then the Holy Spirit's poured out, right? And a few thousand wind up coming to faith. So it's already just even on, on this one day, this great exponential growth of the church. And it's not like it just sort of ends there. But again, how does our passage end? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's like every day more and more and more are coming to faith. It's just this phenomenal exponential growth of the church. And it's not like all of these new believers are suddenly going to be like miraculously super Christians and super mature, right? They're going to be new to the faith and immature in the faith. And so if this is a church that's just experiencing such wondrous, miraculous, uh, exponential growth, if real significant spiritual growth were not taking place, then this would be an immature church. It would be a church that's filled with like 95% new believers who are, who are immature in the faith, and you wouldn't see this real vibrant sort of spiritual life being lived out. It, but for this to be a real mature church, which it clearly is as you're reading this, it's very clearly a church that's really mature and thriving, and yet they're all very new believers. The only logical conclusion is, well, how did they get mature so quickly? That it's, it's all almost entirely new believers, and yet they're all mature. It's because there's really profound, significant spiritual growth that's taking place. Not just sort of this slow, taking a long time, real slow process of spiritual growth. I mean, really in a profound, radical way, these people are maturing in their faith like never before. 
you know, unbelievably, there's just real rapid, significant spiritual growth taking place in this church. So I'd say even if it doesn't explicitly use the words, they were growing and maturing in the faith so quickly and rapidly. Again, even just sort of, it's implied within the passage, but if you just sort of think of even the whole context and what's going on in this church, it's quite apparent that this has to be taking place. It's the only way that this could be a mature church with so many new believers is if people are rapidly growing and maturing in the faith. So I wanted to sort of establish that because if we're going to look at this church as an example of, of spiritual growth, wondrous spiritual growth, we sort of have to first establish that that was taking place in order to use them as an example for that. So sort of having established that, I now want to take a look and say, well, what, what was going on in the life of this church that God was really working through to bring this radical, wondrous, miraculous, profound spiritual growth? And certainly there are a number of things. And first, I want to tie it back in with Ephesians and say one of the things that was taking place is, well, what we talked about in Ephesians was really playing out, that you have these various members of the body, and this may not seem obvious at first, but I'll explain it, but right, all of the different members of this one body of Christ with their unique gifting and skill set, they're all carrying out their own role and, and function within the body, and as a result, the body is being built up and maturing. And you might say at first, like, I don't quite see that in this passage. You see little bits of it, but I'm going to flesh it out a little bit more. Certainly you see the apostles carrying out their God-given role in the body. They, right, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we see the apostles' teaching there, right? We see the apostles carrying out the many signs and wonders. If we go to verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. But you might say, well, that's just sort of, that's the apostles. We don't know about the rest of the body and sort of how things were playing out. But I kind of want to fast forward the story a little bit to, to give us a little insight into what was going on in the church here. And it didn't take too long for there to be a little bit of an issue in the church where uh, there was a daily distribution to the widows in the church. So those who were widows and, and they weren't able to fully provide for themselves, there was a distribution that would be made to them to provide for their needs. And what was happening is the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, because it's like, you know, oh, you're a Greek-speaking Jew. You're not one of us from Judea speaking Aramaic or even knowing Hebrew. Uh, it's sort of like you're a second-class Jew. What wound up taking place was they were kind of being neglected. These Hellenistic Jewish widows were, were being neglected in the daily distribution as sort of second-class Jewish Christians. Um, and, and so this issue kind of arose and, and be, it became an issue in the church. This complaint was sort of brought to the apostles and, and you know, what are they going to do about it? And the response was to say, it, it wouldn't be right for us, in a sense, to say, we have our own role, our unique role as the apostles within this church. It wouldn't be right for us to sort of, you know, shirk that role and responsibility. We have the role of teaching and prayer in this leadership role in, in that capacity. It wouldn't be right for us to neglect that to go and serve at tables, in a sense, to go and wait on tables, distribute food, it wouldn't be right, it wouldn't be fitting. Each part of the body, right, every member has his own unique role and function, and we're to carry out our own God-given function, not someone else's role and function. And so what ultimately is decided is, well, hey, we're going to appoint seven, what really wind up being the first deacons in the church, one of them being well-known, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, um, he's one of the seven. But so they appoint these seven to oversee the daily distribution and make sure it's done fairly that these Hellenistic Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, are not neglected in that. And the point that's made that I'm making here is, is this idea that, that's spoken of in Ephesians chapter 4 that we read about is really being lived out. This idea that there are various members within the body 
They each have their own unique role and function. And in this case, the disciples are recognizing that and saying the apostles are saying, this is, this is our function to teach to pray. It's someone else's role and function to uh, oversee the distribution of, of you know, the, the food, daily needs for, for these widows. And so we already see that being played out here in the church in Jerusalem. That, hey, it's, it's one big body, many members, different roles, different functions for each person. And when each person, each member is doing its part, carrying out its God-given role, the result is great thriving and spiritual growth within the body. And so I'd say this is a church that was living that out. So even the passage that we already spoke of in Ephesians, we see that being lived out here in this, this church in Jerusalem, here in Acts chapter 2, even if we have to fast forward a few chapters to see it more fully. So that's one of them, but, but I don't want to overly reiterate that and belabor that. We talked about that in, in Ephesians. But we see other elements, and one of them that's central is, is fellowship. And this sort of runs throughout this whole passage, right? God here is working through the people engaging in real profound fellowship, and he's using that, working through that, to bring spiritual growth. And we see the fellowship here. I'll, I'll read a few parts of this where, where we see it. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And then if we jump down to verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And then continuing on, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Right? You get the sense, it's like everything they're doing, they're doing in community. They're doing it together. There's this great and profound fellowship. Right? And God is using this to bring spiritual growth within the body. In fact, if we even just sort of think practically about it, you know, imagine trying to grow spiritually on your own. You don't have you know, that, that sort of view that many are now sort of taking up of, I'm just going to be a Christian all on my own, my own little island. I'm not going to engage in church life. Right? If you're someone trying to do that, and I mean, obviously you're not, you're here, but, but if you were, right, think of it. You, you don't have any sort of encouragement, someone to just sort of be encouraging you as you recognize sin in your life and, and, and you just sort of need that support and encouragement. You don't have somebody to keep you accountable as maybe you're sort of working through things and striving to grow in, in your faith and Christ-likeness, someone who can sort of keep tabs on you, keep you accountable, right? You don't have someone who, when you need to be challenged a bit, maybe when you're blind to sin in your life, someone who sort of sees that sin and, and in love can speak the truth to you and open up your eyes to that, right? When we're all on our own, we, we don't have any of that, but when we're engaging in, in, in church community life, fellowshipping with one another, living life together, we have all of that. And I'd also say as we think of fellowship and how God uses this to bring spiritual growth to his church, as we look at all these other elements of church life here that God works through, we're going to get to them. We'll, we'll, we'll get to them after fellowship. But, and I'll talk about this, but they take those other elements. We're going to look at scripture and, and worship and prayer and, and, and some others as well. And what it does is it kind of takes it to the next level. And I'll, I'll flesh that out a little bit, but um, ultimately it sort of amps things up more as opposed to looking at scripture on your own and, and focusing on biblical teaching on your own or emphasizing worship and it's all on your own. There's value to that and God works through that as we're going to talk about to bring spiritual growth. But when you're then doing that in community, it just takes it to that next level and God uses it to bring even greater growth. And, and I'll talk about that more as we get to those next points. Uh, but now I want to jump to, uh, having finished fellowship, jump to our next point that we see here, the next part of this church community life that God's using to bring spiritual growth. Uh, and we see this right at the beginning, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Right? That was a priority. And when we think of devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, that, that would mean really in two senses. One, being devoted to actually hearing it and sort of soaking it up and learning from them. And the second would be devoted in the sense of actually living it out, not, not just sort of hearing it and saying, oh, that sounds great, and then neglecting it and, and ignoring it, but hearing it and then really striving to live it out, live in light of it. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And maybe, you know, you might say, well, I can't sit at the feet of the apostles in a very literal sense and hear what they have to say. And yes, that's true. But if we think of the apostles' teaching, what would have been the substance of it? Uh, certainly, it would have been rooted in Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament. It was soon to be written, but not written at that time. But it would have been rooted in Old Testament scriptures. It certainly would have been centered on, on Christ himself, right? They just followed him and listened to him and learned from him everywhere he went. So they would have been teaching on all that he did, all that he said, all that he taught, all that he accomplished. Right? And in a sense, if we think about that, we have all of that. We don't need to literally have the apostles standing before us to listen to them. We have all of that in Scripture and all of Christ's life and everything. We, we see all of that teaching in the New Testament as well. And also, of course, having the Old Testament that, that a lot of their teaching would have been rooted in as, as well. So as we think of uh, devote, as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and sort of how do we bring that into our time since we can't literally sit at their feet, in a sense it's devoting oneself to Scripture, to being in God's Word, devoting ourselves to Scripture, and, and not just Scripture itself, but also devoting ourselves to uh, biblical teaching on God's Word as well, right? And that being a priority. And, and certainly God works through that to bring spiritual growth to his people, to the church. But now I want to talk about how fellowship can sort of take that to the next level. Because you could say, well, yeah, I can do that, but I can sort of do that somewhat on my own. I can be in Scripture on my own, and, and there's great value to that. I'm not saying you should only do it in some sort of communal setting. It's great to, to when you have quiet time with the Lord, just be in Scripture, be in His Word. And as we're in His Word, the Spirit just works and moves and brings transformation in our lives and our hearts. And that's certainly true. But, but again, I want to talk about how being in community as we do this can take it to the next level, how fellowship sort of engages with all of these other principles that we're going to talk about, things that God uses to bring spiritual growth here. And as we think of being in Scripture and, and hearing faithful, devoting ourselves to faithful biblical teaching, just sort of get a picture of how it might have gone for the church right here in Acts chapter 2. You can imagine going and, and, and being before the apostles and hearing all of their teaching about Christ and, and all that he did, all that he accomplished. And then maybe what would happen right after that? You wouldn't necessarily, you know, think of today, maybe you hear a sermon and then you head back home and you're sort of all alone and you just sort of forget about it, you know, uh, sort of out of sight, out of mind. And, and, you know, five hours later, you couldn't even remember or tell someone what the sermon was about. I think all too often that that's the reality. But now sort of get a picture of what it might have looked like here for this church in Jerusalem, where maybe they go, they're sitting at the apostles' feet, just soaking up that teaching. But then after that, they're headed to get some food. And what do they do? Maybe it's, it's dinner time, time to eat a meal. And, and what do we see here? It says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So maybe they soak up the apostles' teaching, but then they go and they eat a meal. But they're not alone at home, but they're together. They're feasting together. They're breaking bread in their homes and eating together, as it says, with glad and sincere hearts. And, and as they're together and eating, you can imagine them sort of just you know, thinking about and pondering all that, that the apostles had said and taught them. Maybe they were teaching on 
how we are to, Christ taught that we're to love our enemies. And, and there you are, you know, a member of this church in, in Jerusalem, and you're sitting there with brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and, and you're sort of pondering this and discussing it with one another. And, you know, that's something that I struggle with. I need to love my enemies better, as the apostles taught about, as Christ taught about. And then maybe your brother or sister in Christ chimes in, and, you know, yeah, that's something I struggle with too. You know, let me pray for you. And then you're praying for one another, and, and then you say, well, let's hold one another accountable to this and, and challenge one another, encourage one another uh, to grow in this. And, and then the next night when you're eating at their house again and fellowshipping with one another, then this follow-up and, well, how have you been doing? And day after day, right? You, you sort of get a sense of the picture where it's not, you hear one little sermon or lesson or you spend a little time in God's word, but then you just sort of forget about it. But as you're in community, you can continue to, to process and just sort of mentally chew on it and think about it and, and engage with others on the topic and have that accountability and, and encouragement and be challenged to continue to grow. And so that's how we see fellowship sort of taking this to the next level, where it's not just on our own, we engage in God's word and, and we, we listen and devote ourselves to faithful teaching on God, God's word. And we can do that alone, but then we do it also at times with a community mindset and aspect where we're doing it in fellowship with one another. And that just takes it to the next level. Uh, another element of their community life, their church life, was, was certainly worship. And, and we see this. Uh, we see this in, let me read it for us. Yes, verse 46. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, right? This was a priority. Worship wasn't just sort of something where like, oh yeah, every now and then I guess it's Sunday. I, you know, I'll go like put my one hour in for the week, do my thing and then go home. But no, this was, this was something that was prized. It was a priority for them. Every day, it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, right? And again, it wasn't just something they did solo. Certainly, we should still be worshiping God solo and on our own. You know, when you get up in the morning, get up and just start worshiping God. Have some quiet time with the Lord. As you're in his word, just be praising and worshiping him. So it's not like we can only reserve this for community times. It should be done solo on our own as well. But there's, again, just this added value and spiritual impact when we're doing it in community. Right, as we engage in worship together, I mean, I know this just for myself, but, but just to come together with all of you and brothers and sisters in, in Christ and, and to lift our voices in praise and worship of the Lord, it, it, certainly worship is first and foremost for the Lord, right? As we think of worship, we shouldn't think of it in a self-centered way. It's for God. We, we do it for him, for his glory. But we don't come away from worship unchanged. God still uses it to bring growth and, and, and spiritual growth and maturity within our hearts. As we're just focused on the Lord, as we're praising him, as we're worshiping him, the Spirit's working within our hearts. And again, there's something extra special when it's not just me on my own worshiping the Lord, but when I get to see my brothers and sisters join Joining me in that and all of us collectively raising our voices and praising God, there's just something extra special and wondrous and impactful about that. But again, continue to get the picture of if you're doing this in community and not just alone at times, but also at times doing it in community, you can sort of imagine them walking up to the temple. You know, it's that time they're going up to the temple and they're going to worship together as they do. And then after they worship, it's not like, again, just I'll zip home and, and go back to living my private life. But then they're walking down the streets, you know, maybe they're headed to go listen to the apostles teach or they're headed to go have a meal together or wherever. But they're still together. And you can imagine them continuing in discussion to sort of maintain that, that worshipful heart attitude as they're talking about maybe they were singing psalms and they're, they're pondering the content of the psalms as they were, they were worshiping and now as they're, as they're headed home and walking along the streets or, or whatever it might be. But they continue to, in that discussion, engaging with one another, be, be maintaining that worshipful heart attitude and lifting 
God high in, in, in praise and worship, and God just continues again to work through that as we do that in fellowship and community and not just solo. Another element that was central to the, the church community life here in this early church in Jerusalem there, uh, as we see, is prayer. And we see that in the first verse here. It says, verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. A little more literally, it's to the prayers. And probably there is here the sense of designated times of prayer. But certainly, even generally, it would hold true that they devoted themselves to prayer generally, not just at those designated times. Right? And certainly prayer is something that God works through as we just come before the Lord, as we're communing with him, as we're just sort of fellowshipping with him, talking to God that he works in our hearts, he works in our minds, and he just brings transformation. And again, there's great value in praying alone and having private time with the Lord. But at times also being able to have a community fellowship side to that where it's not just, again, me on my own little private island doing my Christian thing separated from all other believers. That's not the case, but rather, yeah, well, at times I'm going to pray privately and certainly we should. At the same time, there's also a community side to it as well where we can be praying for one another. I mean, think of the spiritual impact, spiritual growth-wise of, hey, if I'm struggling with some sort of sin in my life, I'm not alone, but now I've got dozens of brothers and close brothers and sisters in the Lord who are praying for me, praying that, that the Spirit would just work in my heart and my life and bring that growth. What an impact and power that prayer will have in, in my life, right? And not just being able to pray for one another, but maybe at times in prayer alone, but also the, the, the ability to gather collectively and be praying together as a body. Again, great spiritual impact to that. And we see God using that to bring spiritual growth to this wondrous church here in Jerusalem. I want to highlight another element, and this is the last one that I'm going to highlight from, from this, uh, this passage here, and it's loving service. And we see this here, verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And continuing into verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, right? So here they are, and, and they, they just sort of have everything in common. Sort of the mindset is like, my possessions, they're not mine. They belong to the Lord. And if anyone in the church has any need, it's like, it's the church's, it's there, it's theirs, you know, no big deal. I'm happy to sell that. And, and that's what was happening. If there were needs in the church, and at times there were, they, it says they just sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They see people with needs within the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord who had a need. And without a thought, they said, you know, I'll sacrifice it myself. I'll sell something, whatever money or possessions I have. They're not really just mine, and I'm happy to give them to you. And often when we think of service in this sense, we think of it, you know, just sort of in the sense of the impact of helping others, right? And certainly we should be doing it first out of love for the Lord and a desire just to be obedient to him and his command. We think of doing it out of love for others. But there is the reality that it still has an impact on us as well. And I could say just sort of thinking of myself, my own lifetimes, when, when I've certainly self-sacrificially and lovingly cared for another, shown compassion to another, helped them in a time of need. At the end of it, I feel like I come out changed and having grown. I don't come out from that saying just, yeah, that was nice, and I'm glad that I was able to help them, but that's it, nothing in it for me. Not that I did it with a selfish motive, but as I looked at it, sort of looking back, I feel like I've grown. I've matured in the faith. I've grown in my love for God, my love for others, and faithfulness to the Lord. I feel like on the inside, I've been changed, and I've grown. And I think that's something that God was using here in, in this church here in Acts chapter 2 to bring that growth. 
as they're just seeing needs around them and saying, man, in love, we just got to help those people and meet those needs. And as they're doing that, God's just bringing transformation, the spirits at work in the midst of it, and just growing and maturing people. And again, as you think of the community aspect of this, again, fellowship having an impact on all of these, first of all, it doesn't really work if there's no community and no fellowship. I mean, if, if you're sort of living solo, there's no one around you to even help. So it sort of doesn't even work and breaks down on that level. But also think of the, the, the other side of it, the community aspect of imagine getting to see other people lovingly care for, for brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, self-sacrificially just acting on other people's behalf. And the encouragement and challenge that would be for you to sort of follow that example, to all around you be having examples of people who are maybe a little more mature in the faith and they're just self-sacrificially giving and serving others and to be challenged as you see this happening day after day all around you, you say, man, I, I got to live that way too. I have to challenge myself to grow and mature and give of myself in that same way. So again, as you're doing it in community, as, as you see other people living this way, it, it's just an encouragement and challenge for, for you to step up to the plate and do the same. And as you're doing that, that, doing that as well, then you're encouraging other people to do that. So again, you see the, the community impact of this, where it's not just done solo, and there's still impact if it's done solo for all of these things. I'm not saying that there's no benefit, but when it's done in community, when fellowship is taking place, when the church is just united together, living that church community life, there's just all the more impact to it. So ultimately, I want to kind of come back big picture and say, well, what's our, what's our takeaway? What's our application here? We've talked about the church as a place of spiritual growth and not just the place, but really sort of the, a means of spiritual growth as well. What I want for us as a takeaway is just to say, man, we want to be that church. We want to be a church just like that church in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem there where, man, people are just certainly where people are coming to faith day in and day out. That would be wonderful as well. But, but even as people are, are new to the faith, they're gen, just then growing rapidly. There's just profound, great spiritual growth. And I think that we're on the whole a, a mature church, but that doesn't mean like we've reached perfect Christ-likeness. I have arrived and I'm perfect. That's certainly not the case, but rather there's still plenty of room for growth, even if on the whole we're a mature church. And to say, we want to be that, that church that's, that's just characterized by, characterized by real profound, significant spiritual growth. And that's what God desires for us. He wants to grow us more and more into the likeness of Christ. And we, so we should strive for that and yearn for that desire to grow and be rid of sort of the, the stuff from the old sinful self that still has a way of hanging around. And if we want to be that church, if we want to see that real profound spiritual growth, then we really already, as we've talked about here, have, in a sense, a roadmap for it. Ultimately, it's God who's going to bring the growth. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to do that work. But he still works through various things. And I want us to prioritize those things. And we talked about them. We talked about them here in Ephesians. We talked about them in Acts. One of those elements is just recognizing that, that we need to use our unique gifts, our unique abilities. God's given each and every one of us a, a certain unique role within this body of believers. We have our own separate gifts and abilities and strengths, and we're to use those to carry out our unique role in this church. And as we're each and every one of us doing that, if we take that seriously and say, God, this is my gifting that you've given me. This is my role. And I need to live that out faithfully. And if everyone in the church does that, we're told the result is going to be that spiritual growth. The church is going to be built up and edified. And that's what we want to see. And we see in Acts as well, all of these further elements of church life that God works through. We see them. It's fellowship. It's being devoted to scripture and faithful biblical teaching. It's worship. It's prayer. It's loving service. And just say, let's prioritize those. Let's live those out here at New Hope Chapel. And as we do so, just watch the Holy Spirit work through it all 
and bring great spiritual growth, ultimately for God's glory, that we might live all the more faithfully in service to him and glorify him all the more in our lives because that's what it's all about, God serving him in his glory. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, we want to be that church that's a place of real, significant, profound spiritual growth. We know that we aren't yet perfect. We won't be in this life, but we strive for ever-increasing Christ-likeness. And you've given us a sort of roadmap for how that's going to take place in your church. The things that you, Holy Spirit, will work through and bring that great spiritual growth. And that's when every one of us is carrying out our God-given role and doing so faithfully, and the church will be built up as we're fellowshipping, living in community, as we're devoting ourselves to scripture, to faithful biblical teaching, as worship is a priority and we're living it out in prayer and loving service as we're doing all of that, Lord. And may we do that. Holy Spirit, may you then be at work as we prioritize those things, as we live them out, be at work and grow us and mature us into the church that you want us to be, that will all the more glorify you in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.